With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and we are live here with the co-host of the Eyes on Big podcast, uh, Big Kurt and Jeffrey the Greek. Um, we'll start off here. Just how are you guys, fellas? Great, Kevin. Thanks for having us. Good, good. Yeah, yeah I appreciate so, uh, Go I was just going to say, for me, for me, it's just great um, getting, getting a little bit more Big Ten East and Michigan State uh, fan interaction here. Not to say we haven't had – any uh, one of my one of my our best followers, Sean Dwyer, just want to give him a shout out, big Sparty fan. Uh, but it's just great to to branch out into more fan bases. So I really appreciate you having us on. Love it. Yeah, I know you guys are Big Ten West guys with uh, Iowa and Illinois in the house here. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the time. Like you said, I know Jeff, you got uh, some obligations that uh, you're putting on hold here. So I really appreciate that. You yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll kind of start with, uh, a, a quite a big picture here. We'll start with, you know, some topics about the conference as a whole, and then kind of narrow into the, uh, Michigan state and kind of its place in that. Uh, but I want to start with probably the most important topic of the day. Uh, something that we brought to light on Twitter a little bit. Um, if, if the big 10 mascots all had a battle Royale, who you got, who's coming out alive. Uh, if we, let's say if we did like an animal bracket and a human bracket and took the Buckeye out of it, cause they win everything else. They don't need another, another victory and here. And it's a Buckeye, right? It's, it's, it's a, not, they don't have a chance. Who you guys got? Yeah. So I got involved in this on Twitter. Uh, we were going back and forth about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, Kevin? So, I mean, it, it, to me, it came down to, in the human side, it comes down to, I think, the knight and Sparty. But Definitely. the knight's also mounted, which I think gives him an unfair advantage. You know, you put the, the knight on, on ground, and he's going to be clumsy versus a Spartan. And I think the Spartan might even be cagey enough to get him off of the horse to begin with. Now, if he's got the lance... No chance. But in, you know, the, the actual Scarlet Knight carries a sword. I, th- I don't think I've ever seen him with a lance. So. Yes. I mean, I just Yeah, think- I mean, for me, I'm picturing, you know, from the movie 300. So the Michael Fassbender and Gerard yeah. Butler are Spartan, you know. Hopefully we can get the uh, pre-Game of Thrones uh, Lena Headey in there, too, you know, just because she looks good in that uh, Greek dress. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, nobody's taking those guys down, you know. So for me, it was kind of a no-brainer in the human section that it's going to be it's going to be Sparta. Yeah, I, and I'm on a Sparty podcast, so I think I'm going Sparty. <laughs> there you go. I I started yeah. off kind of thinking the night, and then the more I thought about it, you know, these Spartans are just like born killers. Like they're they're killing from the time they're like five yeah. years old. So and I feel like those nights. Those knights, they always look really restricted in all that metal casing in their body. I just, I, I think a, I think a good Spartan would just rip them apart pretty quick, actually. Yeah, and I think they're they're kind of entitled rich guys as well. The the general <laughs> knight, the average knight. That's a good point. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like. Uh, I don't know if they're battle tested enough. Now on the animal side, what are you guys thinking there? Yeah. So Stop. for I mean, me, yeah. Go ahead, Kurt. Well, for me, it comes down to the cats. I mean, they're just, they're bigger animals than the rest of the, the animals out there. Yeah, a wolverine is, is fearsome, but I think a, a wildcat or a lion is going to take those down. And then you just put the wildcat versus a lion. I, I would take a lion every time. So we're going, we're talking Nittany lion. Nittanies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I the mean. Nits versus the Northwest. Got a little more beef to like, them. Like, I picture that being one semifinal, the other semifinal being a wolverine and a badger, which I got to think would be. A heck, that might be the most entertaining match yeah. of each of each side, but the winner would come out of that and just immediately get mauled by the Nittany Lion. Um, but then, yeah, now we got a Nittany Lion versus a, a Spartan, like a well-trained Spartan. I God, think that's it's a, tough. That is a that's a that's a close battle. See, right that's there. what you your three hundred mentioned earlier. That's where I go back to the movie, and they had to go out at like you know eight, ten years old, and what was it, right. kill a wolf before they're basically accepted as like a man in their culture. So I, I think they know a thing or two about fighting a uh, wild animal. And don't forget, yep. they're armed. They have a shield and a sword. Yeah, you have like a yep. I think like a short sword is what a Spartan uses, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. So going back to the night, and I'm not even making this up. I sit in my office right now. If I look to my left, the, the house behind me, they, they participate in these Renaissance games. Oh, no. I swear <laughs> to God. It, it's not like LARPing because they're actually hitting each other. And they go in full oh, armor. Oh, I love it. And what? it's not graceful, which is why I think I'm going ultimately with, a, with Sparty on the human side. As if... As if tourism to Minneapolis wasn't bad enough right now. Kurt's got to throw that story out there. Have you ever joined I mean, I've or the, at least I've thought about joining? i make their armor. They, they use titanium for some of the pieces of their Jesus. armor. What? <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, man. Again, not graceful. <laughs> um, so, so on a little bit of a more real note here, I, I don't know if you guys caught wind of this. I basically uh, was, was tasked with realigning the conference. And obviously this is going to come mm. from, a, from a Big Ten East person here who's looking to make it a little bit more even on both sides. And I want to get the Big Ten West perspective before I get into kind of my solution here. Um, if, if, you know, without expansion, without adding any more teams, do you guys think that there is any need for any realignment or would you support anything like that? I mean, what's your thoughts on that in general as we stand as a 14-team conference? Sure. I'll go ahead and start on that. I, I don't think there is a need for realignment. I feel like, yeah, I've, the East is a little bit uh, heavier than the West, but mostly it's Ohio State. You can right. pretty much take Wisconsin and they're the, the Penn State 
of the of the East, you can align Iowa with Michigan. And sure, you had Sparty that was playing at a really high level, but they've kind of backed down. So really, right now, I feel like it's just Ohio State. And so you got to put them somewhere. So if you put them in the West, then the West is better than the East. So like, I, I agree with everything Kurt said. Um, but I'm also thinking, if any Michigan State fan or any fan of any team in the Big Ten East is listening to this podcast, and we say, no, there's no need for realignment. <laughs> the first thing they're going to say is, well, sure, two, two fans of the Big Ten West think there's no need for alignment. But uh, so I would understand, you know, the argument both ways. Um, if I was to make a change, it would literally just be swapping out maybe one team for another. Um, you got to leave Michigan and Ohio State in the same division because – by God, we are not doing what, like, uh, the Big 12 could get stuck with where, you know, Oklahoma and Texas replay a game at the end of the year. Right. I, I'm too much of a college football traditionalist. I think that's disgusting. So you got to keep Michigan and Ohio State in the same division. I could maybe do something like swapping Penn State for Purdue and switching those teams over. That alone right there would probably uh, line it up, but I would, I would pretty much stop right there. I yeah. think you could also swap Michigan State for Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. I So I, I kind of tried to take a wacky approach to this. It was uh, basically I got a question on Twitter from my guy. It's your boy, 41, a uh, guy I played high school football with. But he wanted – he basically said, how would you realign the conference to, to give a competitive balance as well as keep all the rivalries intact? Because, of course – like Jeff, like you mentioned, you know, I, I'm also kind of try to play into the traditionalist role as well. I love rivalries in college football. I don't want to see any of that go away. And for me, I mean, I, the leaders and legends stuff, I don't know how you guys feel was so like cheesy and corny. It was just I, like, even if they just gave it a different name, I think I would have been okay with the way they split it up. But so real quick, do you remember it was like, NCAA football 2013 or 14 or whatever it was, the video game. The first thing I would do is go in and realign the divisions and change the name. They would actually give you a medal for changing the names of leaders <laughs> and legends. Like, here's a medal for you. We also think this is this is horrible. It was a bad look for the conference. I mean, oh, if I was, was so if I was any other conference, I would have been looking at the Big Ten and laughing. Oh, 100%. We were in they the were. Big Ten laughing, so it yes, was brutal. And so I, like, I tried to kind of keep something relatively geographical, uh, but it, like you said, you know, you flip one team here or there, it probably could work out. I decided to kind of go off the wall here. I want to know what you guys think about it. So uh, names pending. I, I think we could think of something a little bit better here. But I went with the Big Ten middle and the Big Ten extended is, is what I'm calling it here. So the Big Ten middle, we have Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, keeping those three together. We add the Illinois schools and the Indiana schools. So basically you got Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Then you have Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana, Purdue. So if, you know, again, if for the folks out there, if you're kind of looking at just a map of the Big Ten, all the schools in the middle of it are in this division. Uh, then you got what I'm calling the Big Ten Extended, uh, which is where we got, obviously, the schools on the outside. So you have kind of on the western side, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska. 
and then you flip over to the east and you get Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers. And of course, the the obvious argument against it is is the Big Ten extended gets screwed a little bit in the travel. But uh, I, I basically tried to have fun with it a little bit. And I, I really think like the more I thought about it, the, the longest flight is you get uh, from Minnesota to Rutgers would be would be a brutal travel. But who's really making that trip anyway is my first argument. Uh, but you, you balance the powers out a little bit more. I think, you know, you keep Michigan State, Ohio State and Michigan together. You kind of flip Penn State over and then you have the traditional powers on the other side with Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, and, and the biggest thing here is since we've gone to an East West, the big 10 East has obviously they've won every single conference title game, obviously Ohio state responsible for most of those. Uh, but I, I think if as, as a big 10 fan, I think if we had a, an Ohio state Penn state big 10 championship, I mean, they've had some great games over the last few years. If we could get that in a big 10 championship game, where where all the eyes across the country are on it I think that would be really interesting and then you keep all of the rivalries together you might have to incorporate a couple of uh crossover games with you know Michigan and Minnesota for example but I mean you keep Michigan Ohio State together you keep Iowa Wisconsin uh you keep basically you know again the Indiana schools are together the Illinois schools are together so obviously I don't think this is a realistic situation, but what do you guys think about my uh, realignment plan? I'll start out. I mean, I, I think it's pretty similar to what I had just said, just kind of flipping out, flopping uh, Penn state and Purdue. And I I didn't, you know, explain it out, but yeah, that puts Purdue and Indiana in the same division. Um, You know, Penn state is easily movable because don't have any tried and true, um, rivalries you know I mean there there is a rivalry there with Michigan and you know I think it's budding and kind of developing with Ohio State I don't mean it like there's no ill feelings towards the uh, fan bases but you know it's just not a traditional rivalry so yeah I mean what you got there is really good um, as far as a uh, travel thing Um, I'm sure Iowa and Wisconsin and Nebraska fans wouldn't mind so much uh, traveling to Maryland or Rutgers every other year. (laughs) Um, That is quite of a heart of a, of a road game. Um, And then, yeah, you keep kind of, I know Maryland and Penn state also isn't a rivalry. I think Maryland wants that to be more of a rivalry than what Penn state views it as, but it does keep them together as a regional foe. So I I think yours is fantastic. I don't know about the middle big and the the outer extended. We We got to work on that. We might have to we might have to workshop that a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was a little skeptical when you started explaining it, but looking at them, I like the fact that in the the mid you've got a, a lot of the traditional um, uh, Big Ten schools. Most of the the charter uh, members are there, but I think the, going back to what Jeff said, Penn State not having that long tradition of rivals is probably the easiest one to flip and move into Purdue over is not a big deal either because they'll be with Indiana. So I kind of just like switching Penn State. I think that's the way to go, swapping Penn State. And then you brought it up, Kevin, a lot of times Penn State and Ohio State are going to be meeting in the Big Ten championship game, which which would be fantastic. Yeah, obviously like Wisconsin, I mean, they, when you go back to, for example, even just this game last year, I mean, they controlled the 
first half, even into the third quarter of that game. I mean, it's not like they've been getting blown out every year, but uh, I, I think the the Penn State with the way they recruit and the athletes that they have, I think that would be just a little bit more of an intriguing matchup. Um, I, I don't know. It was it was interesting. Like I said, I wanted to have some fun with it. But kind of on that same note here with expansion talks, uh, what do you guys think about Big Ten expansion or conference expansion if we kind of went to this uh, model where we basically just eliminated the group of five from college football is kind of the way I'm, I, I hear all of those talks. But, you know, adding a, an Oklahoma or a Texas obviously is the dream for the conference, but realistically speaking, I mean, the last time around we got Maryland and Rutgers. So what do you guys think about expanding the conference? Is that something you're interested in or are we good at 14? Well, I guess I'll start by saying, I believe the group of five should be split from power five. I think they should have their own playoff. They should do their own thing, crown their own champion. I think it would make it more, it would certainly make it more interesting to me. I think it would give them more appeal nationally. As far as, the Big Ten expanding, do I want it to happen? No, because I'm a traditionalist. But if it means you're competing for more TV dollars, then I understand by all means having to do it. I wonder about teams like Oklahoma, though. How much would they really want to be in the Big Ten? I guess you got the money as the driver there because they're not making as much in the Big 12. But it's not like they're starving either. Um, I wonder if it'd be harder for them to recruit if they join the Big Ten, because they're pulling all their talent from Texas. I'm just not sure those Texas kids are going to want to go there. So I, I feel like they may not even want to be interested. As far as Texas joining, I mean, they'd have to give a lot of concessions. They'd probably have to give up the Longhorn Network. Right. I don't see that happening either. So there's a lot of roadblocks there. One team that I think that I've heard, very, very few places, but I've heard that makes a lot of sense, which sounds kind of weird, is Georgia Tech because they're in the SEC footprint and they've got a huge TV market that's sitting there waiting to be gobbled up by the Big Ten. So that they're tier one research institution, but then the, the travel is going to be a, a drawback there, especially with COVID. All these athletic departments are trying to save money. Again, they have the same problem. Are, are kids from Atlanta going to want to go to Georgia Tech anymore because they're going to be playing up in the Big Ten footprint all the time? So I just don't see a whole lot of teams out there that make a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is speaking about any individual teams, I don't think there's anything I can add that Kurt didn't already talk about. He did a good job of talking about individual teams. Um, the only thing I would add is somehow the Notre Dame being in the big 10, if they were forced to be in these kind of versions of like a super conference, if that's where it goes, that right. would seem to make the most sense. And then ultimately I am down for whatever happens as long as at the end of this we have everybody playing uniformity throughout the country which means something along the lines of nine conference games three non-conference games with two of those games being versus fellow power five teams or one whatever it is for a total of 10 power five that is the thing that is such a glowing thing in college football right now like it's it's just the gigantic pink elephant in the room it has got to get uh addressed so that's what i want i want schedule conform uniformity if this 
for conference stuff, group of five breaking off to a certain degree is how we get there, then that's how we get there. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that was actually something I wanted to talk about with, with MSU specifically, I'll, I'll kind of just jump into that now is um, I, you guys talked about again on the eyes on big podcast, you talked about uh, you had a whole basically podcast dedicated to non-conference scheduling and you, you coined the term, the Sparty line. And there was something that was, that was interesting there because, you know, a, a lot of teams are, are in different positions. Obviously, you have an Ohio State in the conference who just scheduled a home-and-home home with Alabama. And then you have a Rutgers in the conference as well. So, you know, with, well, you know, kind of in the context of Michigan State and the national picture, like you said, they're kind of getting a uniform uh, schedule. What, you know, what – again, your ideal situation is, is what two power five teams, three non-conference games. I mean, for me, I wouldn't have a big, it wouldn't be a big difference. I, I would like 10 total power five teams on my team's schedule every year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean to do this, uh, but to use Iowa as an example, because that's obviously something that's most, you know, uh, familiar to me. Um, it is horrible as an Iowa fan. We've got nine Big Ten games, and we get stuck with Iowa State as the 10th every year. What I would ideally like to see is eight conference games. We play Iowa State as well, but then have room for another Power 5 team outside of Iowa State. I think having 10 total Power 5 teams, with eight of them being in conference, leaving those two power five teams gives teams a lot of flexibility to schedule some fun, you know, games out of conference, but are still power five, but then you still leave two games left to get the group of five and maybe an FCS team every now and then some, some much needed cash. Yeah. Hey, Kurt, Kurt, what do you, I mean, on your thoughts of just non-conference scheduling in general with Michigan state or with the conference, I mean, you know, in, in the, grand scheme of of conference realignment and and adding or subtracting teams i mean are you kind of on the same boat there well i definitely agree with jeff that uniformity is key when it comes to teams especially competing for national championships competing for college football playoff berths i'm also kind of in favor of teams like oh i don't know let's just use illinois being able to schedule three (laughs) group of five teams because we have no aspirations of making a playoff just trying to make, you know, a bowl game. And there's, there's plenty of teams out there like that. So. Yeah. And even, I mean, even you go back into Michigan state's non-conference history or Michigan or, you know, we it's, it's funny because you go back and forth on the given year and obviously Michigan and Michigan state is, is kind of our primary uh, Twitter battles, for example, you know, you're, you're looking at uh, the, the rivalry there. But it, it's always funny how quickly you can turn back and forth into, oh, well, you guys are scheduling nobody. And, and Michigan State will say that about Michigan one year, and then it'll flip the next year. And, and it's funny because, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, certain teams are going to want – if you're Ohio State, you're going to want to put a high-profile matchup out there. But for a lot of teams in a given year, you're just trying to get as many rack up as many wins as you can and get into as high profile bowl game as you can. So I think on one hand, yeah, you don't really as a fan love to watch your team go up against middle Tennessee state, but at the same time, when you know, there's a win on the schedule and we'll get into that with Michigan state this year, 
it is a nice feeling knowing that there's at least one or two out there that you're guaranteed to win. So it's uh, it's it's a tough position, but um, kind of using and that I, to jump I, in. Just, yeah, yeah, go ahead. If I can just add one thing, my the most annoying thing I get with the scheduling, and of course this is going off of you know Twitter, but um, when somebody outside the Big Ten just immediately says, "Well, they don't play anybody," you know, or that team only plays one power five team out of conference. It's like, guys, we play nine power five teams in conference, like not any team in the big 10, just not playing a power five team for their other three. You're still getting nine. That's more than a lot of teams in the ACC for sure. And some in the SEC. So I I just wanted one thing that that's what drives me the most nuts is the inability for people to understand any form of nuance (laughs) in the fact that a big 10 team is always playing nine and probably typically playing 10 power five teams a year. It's already as tough as it needs to be. Yeah. Nuance on Twitter is just not going to happen ever (laughs) (laughs) basically. Um, So, so kind of using that to jump into Michigan state, uh, obviously, we had the the great D'Antonio years there, obviously from 2013 to 15, but even you go back to 2010 with Kirk Cousins. I mean, from 2010 to 2015, there was a six-season stretch there. We, we won 65 games. We were winning double-digit games just about every year. There was 2012 was a, a little lapse there, but – I mean, you you go from this program that was starting to get some national attention. You were starting to pull a couple of big recruits here and there. We had Malik McDowell was a big guy who who ended up being a first-round pick, and obviously his NFL career kind of took a turn. But we were starting to kind of turn the corner, it, it seemed, in the Nationals side of things. And then 2016 happened. We won three games. And since then, even with 2017, there was a 10-win season. But, but just since 2016, there was just a little stink around the program. D'Antonio's message didn't really seem to come through. I mean, from, from your perspective, just from looking at it from the Big Ten as a whole, obviously we get a little bit too close to the situation sometimes. So first of all, what do you guys think happened there? And, and how do we get back to that level? Or is that even possible anymore? Yeah, let me, if I could jump in first, the, I just want to say um, I try to as much as possible, especially since we started recording the pod, uh, put uh, myself in the shoes of other fan bases. And if I'm a Spartan fan, I'm pretty annoyed in the fact that uh, Michigan State was so good for so long and all it took was like a little dip in the win total. And it seems like fan bases all over the place are like, well, that's it for Sparty. They're done. We're never going to hear from them again. And I think, so I'm just here to say I'm not a Michigan state (laughs) fan. I have seen and felt that myself. And I think it's mostly BS. Uh, Michigan state has been a very good football uh, program for years and years and years, you know, certainly as long as I've been on the planet, um, you know, when I started watching uh, college football in the late 80s, early 90s, and and knowing, uh, so it's not like D'Antonio's run is the only time Michigan State has been good. He definitely took it up a notch, and he deserves a lot of credit for that, but I think this is, you know, 100% obviously a crazy uh, situation that Michigan State is in right now, and it will be 
a rough transition, I think, right right now. But that doesn't mean that Michigan State can't get back to winning eight, nine, ten games a year and competing for conference championships because I definitely think they can. Yeah. So I'll go back to your comment about 2016. That was kind of the turning point, right? They, they finished three and nine that year. They also had that amazing recruiting class that was supposed to bring them up to the next level. But as Sparty fans know, they had four or nine four-star guys, I think, yep. and seven of those guys washed out and just never really contributed much. The, another one was Justin Lane, who left early for the NFL. So this great recruiting class that was supposed to, you know, catapult them up to maybe the next next level ended up being a disaster and from the outside you tell me if I'm wrong it just seemed like that team had horrible chemistry and never really recovered from that now Narduzzi left around the same time oh is yeah. that right yep yeah. w- what year did he leave that was after the 2015 C I would have yeah. to double okay. check the exact year but yeah so and it's not like they've had bad defenses they've actually had very good defenses since then but they they're not they weren't as well rounded they didn't weren't as good as, at keeping points down they were really good at stopping the run still but they weren't quite at the level that Narduzzi had them you combine that with i think an offensive staff that was getting really stale and D'Antonio not wanting to make any changes we made a big deal about them shuffling the the chairs on the deck of the Titanic last year. So I think there was a number of things. And then you also have like the Larry Nassar thing came out and the athletic department was descending into chaos at the same time. And it must've been a stressful situation, right? Then recently you have the Curtis Blackwell thing. There were so many things going on. I don't know many coaches that could have survived what was going on there. (laughs) Yeah, and, and from the MSU side, uh, I, the whole Curtis Blackwell thing is is an interesting topic for anybody. But uh, the way that that story keeps progressing, and it's it's one of those things where you know Michigan fans on Twitter will always come in and and try to make noise about it. But basically, Curtis Blackwell has been funneling money to his lawyers, trying to keep the case alive. Nothing's really come out of it, but. Um, yeah, it's, well, it was there was finally, just a whole mess it was of dismissed, things going right? on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to get back into, I don't know. It's right. it, the whole thing's a disaster, but yeah, like you said, there was just so many things that all went wrong at once. And yep. it, again, it was, it's so frustrating because again, like Jeff said, it, it's not like it was just this flash in the pan, uh, success over a couple of years. I mean, you go back to, obviously back to the fifties and sixties, but you know, just ignoring that, the, the late eighties with Lorenzo white winning a Rose bowl. Then you had uh, obviously Nick Saban taking us back to, to, you know, really high hopes and until he left for LSU. And then obviously D'Antonio brings us back to a playoff. So it's just when you have, and that's the, the worst part about it is again, it was six years of consistent, consistent play. And it just one year evaporates in, into where we are now, a couple seven-win seasons in a row. Like you said, it, Michigan State fans will mostly all agree with me that D'Antonio's stubbornness was part of the reason he was so great, but also part of the reason that he fell. And his belief in himself and his staff like to, to a fault uh, was a lot of the reason that, that we went downhill. 
Um, Narduzzi leaving after I've, I've found it here, 2014 season uh, was obviously a big part of that. We, we always remember when, when Narduzzi, he was up in the press box for most of the game. And if it was a close fourth quarter, he would come down onto the field. And as a Michigan state fan, you would see Narduzzi down on the field and like, all right, baby, it's go time. We're going to get a couple sacks and a turnover here and, and the game's going to change. So that was a big difference maker, but obviously we bring in a whole new staff here. Mel Tucker brings in a new OC, new DC brings in new, you know, wide receivers coach, Courtney Hawkins, who has never coached in college football. He's really trying to turn this program around. The athletic department gave him a ton of money compared to, you know, what we've traditionally been spending on assistant coaches uh, just general thoughts around either Mel Tucker or some of the hirings he's made. Um, we'll start with you, uh, Jeff. What What are your thoughts here on on the new staff? So I think Kurt will back me up once he talks here. I've been on the Mel Tucker train pretty much right since he got hired. Um, I think there needs to Enrose made by the Michigan State program to the Detroit high schools in the area from what I've kind of understood. I think Mel Tucker will be a great at done. Okay, we're, I think we're, we're cutting out a little bit here. Kurt, yeah. I, I think you can kind of, like you said, back up there. his opinion there. Okay, so um, I was a little less impressed by the hire versus Jeffrey the Greek. I, I guess the word for me was I was a little underwhelmed at the hire initially, especially with D'Antonio's famous declaration of people will crawl to this job. And I just thought they would find someone with a little more head coaching experience. And just looking at Mel Tucker in his admittedly only one season at, at Colorado, it seems that the Colorado fans kind of thought that that they should have had a better season too. So I was, I guess, a little surprised. Now, my, my thoughts on it have improved since then. A big part of that is what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. You brought up Courtney Hawkins on the offensive side. I'm not terribly impressed with the offensive hire of Jay Johnson at no, the OC. I'm with you. But you look at Scotty Hazleton, who's, I think, is a fantastic hire for the defensive coordinator, what he did in one season at Kansas State, two at Wyoming. NDSU, he's got a great track record. But keeping Mike Tressel on the staff was a coup, I thought. And, and having him coach the safeties, bringing back Harlan Bennett, who was a longtime D'Antonio assistant, is another coup. So I love what they did defensively, just not in love with what they did offensively. So I'm, I guess long-term, I'm kind of looking at maybe the same kind of Sparty team we've been seeing that's playing great defense, but kind of lagging on the offensive side. Yeah, I, I've talked about it actually basically word for word exactly what you said. Um, outside of the Mel Tucker, I, you know, the, the experience side of it, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. He, he only has one season as a head coach. He obviously had a couple games in the NFL level uh, as an interim, but uh, at, at Colorado, the one season, it's, it wasn't great, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was one year. It's hard to, uh, you know, bring in a whole new set of players and everything. But as far as the offensive and defensive hires, that's my thoughts exactly. The defensive side of the ball, I think, is is dynamite with, with Scotty Hazleton was an awesome hire. I think he's an up-and-comer that's going to be really on the national radar 
in the next couple of years. Harlan Barnett is a guy that Michigan State fans have loved. Uh, and, and so it's it's going to be exciting but it, on the defensive side. But like you said, it, it kind of brings us right back to where we were with uh, we know the defense is going to be good and can the offense score enough to, to keep us alive in some of these big games against, you know, a Penn State, uh, an Ohio State, and Iowa against some of the, the cream of the crop of the Big Ten. Uh, Jeff, we got your back here. You were saying that uh, you, you like the Mel Tucker hire. Yeah, how how quick did I cut out there? You you were talking a little bit about getting back into the Detroit recruiting scene, so that, that yeah. Was... So I think yeah. So that's uh, that's what I've heard a lot from a couple of my Michigan State friends is the ties between um, the the staff, the outgoing staff, and Michigan schools was not so good. I think the Blackwell thing kind of had something to do with that. So I think Mel Tucker is a great person that can, you know, start rebuilding bridges to a lot of the schools in, in, in all around Michigan, but definitely in the greater Detroit area. Um, and then I think because of, you know, some of the guys they've brought on staff like uh, Harlem that they can, they just got good recruiters. Like it's going to be a huge part of the plan for Mel Tucker. Um, and then uh, the whole, you know, Nick Saban lineage, um, not only just Nick Saban, who he is in the college football world right now. He's, you know, the God. It's also got ties back to Michigan State. It, it just seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, then the last thing I would say, this has nothing to do with anything other than I just, I just, it just seems like a guy I would like. I don't know. From all the interviews I've seen and just kind of stuff I've seen on Twitter, I don't know. I just, I just like the guy. Um, and maybe that's in comparison from who the former head coach was at Michigan State. <laughs> He's got a lot, lot more personality and likability about him, but uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes for Michigan State. Yeah, he's he's a great follow on Twitter. The way that we've basically presented it, I, I guess, as with my friend group or even the the guys who have started this with me, is that it's it's really gonna suck if he can't coach football because everything outside of on the field has been awesome. The he talks about recruiting nonstop. He, the the personality, uh, again, you know, with with him on Twitter and Instagram Live and all this stuff, it's it's awesome. But again, we there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, experience. There hasn't been a whole lot of on the field success. So, you know, they, that's basically what it comes down to for all of us. Is generally, I think it's it's a well accepted hire. It's something we're really excited for. It basically at the end of the the coaching search there, which was obviously started a bit late in the process, but um, Luke Fickle was, was the guy that everybody wanted. And when Mel Tucker's name was announced, it was, it was like a hesitantly excited, like, oh, okay, I, I kind of like this guy. I wish we got Fickle, but you know, we'll, we'll see what we got. And then just as time went on, the excitement kept going up and up and up. So if he can't coach football, this is all really going to suck. But I think we, as a, as a fan base, I think I can speak for, for most of us here and say that, you know, it's a really exciting hire, uh, regardless of if it'll work out or not, who the hell knows. But, you know, I, I think it's something on the recruiting side that, that we've needed for a long time here. Yeah. So Kevin, to, to the, your point about recruiting is, He's shown an energy and purpose on the recruiting trail. They're not recruiting at a high level right now, but I have 
every confidence that they will eventually. I mean, the first thing about recruiting is is putting the time in, wanting to do it, being excited about it, and he is that. So I, that's another reason I've started to feel better about the hire. And then I'll just throw in the fact that he spent some time in the SEC, so he probably knows a few dirty little tricks to play <laughs> on the trail that may help out a bit. The the tools of the trade, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's uh, I again, you know, it's the recruiting side is exciting. Uh, the Michigan fans will get on us on Twitter about, oh, you know, you, you love this guy for his recruiting and look at your 2021 class. It's like, all right, I mean, he's been in town for what, four months? Not even. Nobody so. has a great class their first <laughs> time around, you know, it's, it, you got to wait to establish those relationships. I expect they'll make a big jump next year. Yeah. And, and now, so with, uh, we kind of phrased this or, or presented it as a, a, an interesting situation, I think with, you know, you don't want to just look at, okay, what do you think about Mel Tucker in the future? Um, if we took this just in a couple intervals here uh, with, of course, first the 2020 season, his first season in, uh, if we took it kind of three years down the line and five years down the line, what are some realistic expectations you guys think, and then maybe if you want to give as well, like a, a floor and a ceiling with that. So, you know, kind of looking at the 2020 season, three years down the line when he kind of gets a couple of his, his guys in town and then five years in where it's all his players and, and we can really look at this thing as, as his team, what would be again, realistic and then a floor and a ceiling for you guys. Um, I would say the ceiling so you want me to just kind of generalize this together, one, three, and five? Yeah, or, yeah. Or go, yeah, we can kind yeah, of I mean, breeze through this. Because I would assume we're going to touch on the 2020 season by itself. Otherwise, For I sure. can do that right now. Yeah, okay. I mean, the ceiling to me would be the ceiling during the D'Antonio era. Um, I would say getting, you know, a Big Ten championship, uh, getting into the college football playoff because, oh, by the way, Michigan State did do that in 2015. We love um, to remind people of that. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, especially especially Iowa fans. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry but, about uh, that. <laughs> um, but uh, win winning um, <clears throat> a playoff game, or in that case, winning two playoff games, that's harder for me to see that um, there would have to be a ginormous jump in recruiting. So if that's the case, I think you would actually be outside five years. Cause I think it would take three, four years to build Michigan state into a big 10 championship contender. And then another two, three, four years to build it into a playoff uh, contender. And, you know, it, it, it would be, we just haven't seen that yet. So it'd be hard for me to see that. As far as the the basement, um, you know, next year is going to be tough. <laughs> um, yeah. But so you kind of throw that out. I think you throw that out and then you move on after that. I mean, typically the basement would be like four wins if it's a really tough schedule and you get hit with um, injuries. But I would expect Michigan State to be going to bowls almost every year. So for me, I'm not too terribly different than the Greek, but I probably just temper – his, his ceiling just a little bit. And a lot of that is just because of what an absolute juggernaut Ohio State is right now. And I can't imagine Ryan Day leaving anytime soon. You know, where is he going to go unless it's the NFL, I suppose. And I just don't see those guys losing much steam over the next few years. So I think it's going to be really tough to 
to win the East, to win the Big Ten. And Penn State is is playing, you know, better football under Franklin than they had been. And they're recruiting at a really high level, too. I just think it's going to be really hard to break through those two teams right there. I'm If I'm a Sparty fan, I'm not too scared about Harbaugh and Michigan. It's Penn State and Ohio State that I'd be thinking of. So I think it's going to be really tough to – to win as long as those two coaches are at their respective schools. Um, in terms of basement, they're never going to be a team like Purdue, Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland. I don't see them ever going down to those depths. So, yeah, I think it's it's a team that, even if they're not playing that well, is still going to make a bowl game maybe every other year or so. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, hey standing room Spartan fans. Um, if you listen to the Eyes on Big podcast, I just want you to know, Kurt takes thinly veiled shots at Michigan like he just did right there, almost like every third episode or so. So it, it could be something that you, you, you would like if you listen to our podcast. I was the, just going to say, you, you warmed the hearts of all of East Lansing with that comment right there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two teams I like to take the biggest shots at are Illinois and Michigan. So <laughs> I, I give it right back to myself. See, and the thing is, as a Michigan State guy, obviously, I can't say anything to Illinois right now. So the last couple of years point. have been rough. <laughs> Were you at the game this year? I was not, thankfully. No. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, again, another little mini shot at Jeff here. I was at the 2015 Big Ten Championship, but mm. uh, the that final drive – for all of us, I think was probably the most anxiety, stressful situation. What was that like? Probably about an hour of real time. I don't know. It was like <laughs> nine and a half minutes of game time with like three official reviews. And So you want to hear a funny little story? I'll try to make it quick. Um, my wife was nine months pregnant with our first kid right at the time of that Big Ten championship. And we're watching the game with a couple buddies and her and a friend of hers. And my buddy talked her into uh, squirting a bottle of water on the couch and telling me that her water broke right as the game, right as the game was kicking off. And I'm I'm already filled with anxiety. I about, I about died. Kurt, it was Patrick, our buddy. So (laughs) then they told me pretty quickly after that, that it was a joke, but I don't (laughs) think my nerves ever really, I about died that. I'm surprised I, I did perish that day, but anyways. I, yeah, we're happy we're still here, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I at least have that on you. But like I said, Kurt, we, we as Michigan State people have the utmost respect for the Illinois football program as currently stands because we have no other choice. So <laughs> hats off well, to, to Lovey Smith and the guys out there. Yeah, we we took Sparty down in 16 when you had that that horrible season. Yeah. And then, of course, the comeback last year. But, you know, for decades, Illinois just could not beat Michigan State. No matter – even if they had a better team or felt like they had a good team, got them at home, got them at a good t- time of the season, we could never beat Sparty. So we're finally just paying you back. <laughs> is there a really quick diversion here from from the Michigan State talk? Is Is there any chance in your eyes of coming back to the – you know, Juice Williams, Mikel LaShore days. There was the wide receiver who went in the first round of Regis Ben. Yeah, is I mean, is there any kind of chance you see of whether it's Lovey Smith or somebody else bringing back to at least that 
really competitive level? There's no reason that they can't. If you look at everything they have right now, they're no, they're not that different than any of the teams that are having success right now, whether it be Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, you look at Northwestern, what they've been able to accomplish. There's just no excuse. So can they do it? Yes. Do I see any indication that's going to happen soon? No. Yeah, I don't blame. I, there's been a couple of, like I, I'm a big NFL draft guy. I, I've been following that for years. I was doing seven round mock drafts when I was like 14 and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy, but I loved Reggie Corbin last year. That dude was electric as anybody in the big 10, as far as when you just got him the ball in space, but it, there just seems like there hasn't been, again, you go back to juice Williams and, and those guys, there was, there's a lack of the, the playmaking. It seems like there, yeah. and it's similar to sure. again, Michigan state where the offense is just lacking those, those big time playmakers. Yeah. Well, there's, it's been a series of decades of horrible leadership and horrible decision-making. So it's not a surprise where, where we are right now. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you live with what you can, but uh, let, let's okay. kind of finish this up with the, the 2020 outlook. Uh, obviously I've talked about this a bit, but the schedule is pretty brutal. There's really not very many wins that you can circle on there. The non-conference you have, a good Mac team in Toledo. Uh, you know, obviously you, you hope to get the Mac win, but Toledo's a good program down there. You got uh, BYU on the road. That's no gimme. Miami at home with that defensive line is going to be super tough. And then the first half of that Big Ten schedule is just brutal. Uh, new coach, young team. What, what do you guys think? Do we have – any hope here G give me some hope of a bowl game is there any chance I just you seem like a really good guy <laughs> and I just don't want to lie right to your face on on our zoom call here so <laughs> I, I don't know I mean you look at this schedule like I I believe Iowa Nebraska have very different uh, difficult schedules um uh Wisconsin Penn State they they both have difficult schedules as, as well but Michigan State's is the toughest in the Big Ten. Um, I mean, you skip over the fact that you, that Mel Tucker's first game coaching to try to get that first win is is a Big Ten game. So that's what you start out with, you yep. know. Then then you go to Provo. You fly into the mountains after that to go take on a BYU team that many consider another Power Five type of team, basically. And then after that. My gosh, Miami at <laughs> Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State at Indiana, Minnesota. Oh gosh, you finally get a bye, and then you go to Happy Valley. <laughs> what in the? I, I I mean, that has got to be <laughs> the toughest schedule I have ever heard from a Big Ten team since I've been on this planet. It's insane. Brutal. I mean, and I'll add in the fact that you're, you're going to have very little time to prepare. Yeah, I'm not – I'm kind of mixed on offense versus defense. I don't love the coaching on offense, and obviously it takes more time to gel on offense. So I think COVID is a huge disadvantage for Michigan State. Um, now, defensively, you, you lose – I mean, damn near everybody. You bring back three starters, so that's not a good thing. But I, 
do have confidence that the recruiting is good enough and that Hazleton's a good enough coach that at least, you know, getting into the season a few games, they should be serviceable. But then back to the offense, you know, I, I had this, this idea in my mind that uh, they're going to be absolutely atrocious offensively. Now, quarterback's a huge question mark, obviously, but you look at, they've got a handful of pretty good talented receivers. They got two pretty good running backs. They've got a ton of returning experience on the offensive line. They've got a good tight end. If they can get serviceable quarterback play, they might be able to put together a pretty decent offense this year. I'm, I have some confidence that they can. Yeah, and that was something that we brought up recently is that if if there is a serviceable quarterback, the skill position pieces at least are there. The, the offensive line is experienced, but they haven't been very good. There's been a lot of injuries that have come into that. There was seven yeah. starting left tackles last year. But it's something where if, if we can get a decent quarterback and, and God, please make it not be Rocky Lombardi – I, I was uh, I was literally just gonna say, it. I figured well, that was your thoughts, but yeah. Can I, can I we just transition him to a linebacker right now? Because I mean, what what a perfect name for a linebacker. So this this is actually funny because uh, I on Twitter I I got into a little conversation with somebody who suggested he move to wide receiver, and I was I'm like, what have you been watching? Wide receiver? What the hell? A linebacker, tight end? Okay, but. That was so. That let's was come back to quarterback. Field. <laughs> but the whole injury thing, um, you know, they, they were like you said, riddled with injury in the offensive line. Which you think, okay, well, those guys are back, but it's a double-edged sword because if they're if they're getting injured that readily, they're probably just injury prone, right? Right. So that's that's my concern. Same thing with Jalen Naylor. The guy doesn't seem like he can ever stay healthy. Know, if he's yeah. healthy, he's a fantastic talent. Um, but quarterback, it's is it sounding like Peyton Thorne is kind of the guy? That's I, if you took a poll right now of everybody in East Lansing, I would say that's who we would like it to be because he's got a little bit of athleticism and he's got a few years, right? The, the good years of D'Antonio where Kirk Cousins starting for three years, Connor Cook starting for three years. And even if you get the best version of Rocky Lombardi, which I think is like the 10th best quarterback in the conference, he's, he's still only got two years and that's at best. That's, 100% of his potential best case scenario he plays like he did against Purdue every single week but it's just something I I think if you ask the average fan they're they're either Theo Day or Peyton Thorne so it's one of the young guys that we hope yeah. steps up so my concern is that Peyton's a freshman now he's a redshirt freshman but Peyton by the way comes from a great pedigree football family his grandfather is a coaching legend in the state of Illinois um, I talked about him on episode 33 of the Eyes on Big podcast. I pointed him out as a, a kind of a sneaky good recruit. I thought that he brings a skill set that's pretty similar to Brian Lewerke. So I thought it was a really good fit, at least for the previous staff. But I'm just really concerned about his youth. I thought he's a guy that probably needed a couple of years of grooming, two, three years before you really wanted him starting. So that's obviously the big weakness that I see on the offense. Yeah, we're definitely hoping for one of the young guys to step in, but the offense is going to be 100% reliant on quarterback with you there. But I, I do want to give some love to Elijah Collins. Not that, you know, it isn't a name that Big Ten fans wouldn't know, but, I mean, 
he's maybe a little bit better than a lot of people understand. I mean, he was one, you know, solid carry away from a thousand yard season as a freshman ran the ball over 200 times last year and, and proved to be, I would say by the end of the year, pretty, pretty durable. So that is a great place to start. If you are Mel Tucker is having, you know, uh, uh, you know, real steady guy running the ball like that in the big 10. So hopefully he stays healthy and you always got to have depth at running back good to start with the offensive line I mean right now state if you can sign up for a solid defense you know if they can and I and I certainly believe in Mel Tucker's ability to coach a defense I mean he did that he's done that in college and the NFL um, so if you can do something along the lines of just throwing it out they're like a top 25 defense so stay very strong defensively have success running the ball. If you can just do those two things, then you let the passing game develop. You know, maybe you sneak out more wins than I was kind of given given credit for. And let me just expand on that a little bit with the with the schedule. Like, I think most uh, fans they look at the schedule of their favorite team, and and you know they do wins or losses in their head. Now, if you're a fan of that team, you just go win, 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 win. You know, oh, maybe we'll lose team. that one. Um, for me, you know, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I would say this. The only two games that it would just be, like, amazing, like I just really have a hard time seeing Michigan State winning would be uh, Ohio State and Penn State. Right. Um, you know, Penn State on the road. Yeah. Um, after that, I, I would expect them to beat Rutgers, Maryland, and Toledo. Um Northwestern, BYU. I mean, those are all definitely doable wins. Um, and then after that, Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, Minnesota. It wouldn't surprise me to see them beat any one of those teams. It's just when you string them all together, you know. So um, I want to walk it back a little bit. I do think there is there is an avenue there. Uh, to, to get to six wins and get to a bowl. If Mel Tucker does that in his first year, especially being, being put up against the brick wall of not even being able to get to install his offensive defense in the spring because of COVID and just, you know, it, it, putting everything together now in the fall. If he gets this team to six wins, he deserves votes for Big Ten Coach of the Year because it would be incredible. And I, I think there's an avenue to get there, but it's 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 going to take uh, health. The Michigan State's going to have to stay healthy, and we will probably know pretty quick. We're going to know if this is a possibility within the first two or three, and maybe even the first week of the season. Yeah, yeah that's the, something that we we've talked about as well. In a vacuum, a lot of those games are, you know, we talk about like, oh, here's a 50-50 game. These are probably like 40-60 games with Miami, BYU, where we're definitely going to be underdogs in the, in the Vegas spread, but it's it's a winnable game. So in a vacuum, a lot of those games are winnable for sure, but again, like you said, if if we string those enough of those together and find a way to get six, that's going to be an incredible job by Mel yeah I think six is about the ceiling I agree with you guys the 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 tough thing about that Northwestern game is Northwestern returns more production I think than anyone in the Big Ten 
Now, they also have a new quarterback, so he'll be learning a system, but the bad news is he happens to be a pretty damn good quarterback. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like you give Northwestern the advantage in that first game. But, boy, if you could pull that one out, that'll get you some Toledo. Um, and then, of course, Miami, extremely talented team, but you get them at home. None of those teams like coming up north. Unfortunately, it's not later in the year. But I, I do have confidence in Manny Diaz coaching that team to a loss against any given team in the <laughs> He'll country. He'll find a way. So, so, you know, you never know. I will – that memory of them getting shut out in their bowl game against – was Louisiana Tech is, like, burned into my memory because I watched that whole game, unfortunately. I don't know why. I had nothing better to do, but – it it's one of the, yeah Derek King is a is a really exciting playmaker at quarterback but that offense was so bad last year that I think it'll take more than one guy but yeah that defensive line they bring in the guy from Temple uh, it's it's a it's gonna be a tough win but yeah I think uh, you know hey well let's see what will happen here I mean again. I probably would peg us somewhere around four wins this year, but as long as we stay competitive in all the games, I think that's, you know, and kind of the last point here, I'll, I'll get your guys thoughts on it. But, you know, as far as like an, an optimistic outlook for the 2020 season moving forward, I mean, my, my whole thing is just to against your, your Iowa's your Michigan's, if we get blown out against Ohio state, so be it, you know, everybody else does too. So that's not a big deal, but just staying competitive, keeping it a game into the fourth quarter in all of these games, if we win two of them, that's fine. But as long as we're in it and we can kind of show the progress we have, it's, it's a weird kind of way to say it, but it's a little bit of a, blessing almost with this whole COVID thing because we can kind of look at this season as just a throwaway and be like yep that was weird let's just forget that ever happened and move on so um you know kind of again what what would your guys' thoughts just to close it out here be of an optimistic look what would be kind of the best case scenario there whether it's a win total or, or what we're doing on the field for the 2020 season in Mel Tucker yeah the one thing I would say is uh I have also had those seasons where going into it, you reset your expectations because of, you know, young quarterback schedule, this and that. Those losses feel a lot different in real time than they do right <laughs> yeah. now in June when you're trying to picture not throwing things at your TV during a loss. But anyways, good luck. Good luck on that is what I wanted to say. But um, appreciate it. <laughs> I, think I, I mean, I think I kind of, I think I kind of laid it out, you know, the possibility where, to get to six wins in a bowl game is there. Uh, the one thing I would probably add is um, if, if I'm a Sparty fan, I believe there is already tradition there with a defense. I mean, I think you're still running the four, three from what I understand. There's not a huge change philosophically on, on defense from what I understand. So hopefully the defense just kind of holds its water. Like it, it has been, and is still just a very solid defense on the other side of the ball. You have got to be excited as a Michigan State fan, any Michigan State fan, to just see something different on offense. Like I probably, I'm sh like so. So even if it's not working, if it looks different, it it's got a little bit more spread tendencies. There's a little bit more running quarterback style to it. Even if it doesn't work, as a fan, if you can sit and say, "Hey, that was exciting," 
it's hitting every now and then if we ever get to the point where we can do this, you know, um, um, on a consistent basis, this could be a fun offense to watch. I think that's what you're going to, you, you want to see kind of develop as a Sparty fan in 2020. Yeah. Just as a quick note here before, before I let you go, Kurt, the uh, defense, really the only big switch is going to be from like a cover four quarters under D'Antonio to more of a cover three under Hazleton. That's kind of my guess that that's what he's run for most of his career. So not a huge change as far as what the, what's expected from the D line, the corners, the safeties are going to be really the only ones impacted, but um, yeah, Kurt, go ahead. So you said that you'd like to see a team be competitive in all their games, of course, throwing out Ohio state because nobody's competitive against them. But I, I don't see any reason why they can't do that. Now, recruiting did drop off a little bit after 16, but it's not like they're recruiting poorly. They were still recruiting the top half, approximately the Big Ten. They're not going to be a talentless team. And then if you go down the defense, we don't have a lot of returners, but we, we do have a lot of upperclassmen playing too. So I don't see any reason that they can't be a serviceable defense. And I think it's just going to come down to how quickly that offense gels, how good the play is from the quarterback position. So I, I do see a path to six wins. I think it's unlikely. I would I peg them probably more in the four to five range personally, but I don't see why you can't get your, your wish, if you want to call it that, of them being competitive in almost all their games. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that's, you know, again, here's to uh, hopefully having a full season and, and getting everything together. Uh, but thank you guys so much for the time. Again, everybody check out the eyes on big podcast eyes on B one G if you want to spell it out there, but uh, guys, any last thoughts, if you want to plug the podcast a little bit, talk about, you know, what you got coming up or, or anything on the radar. Here's your, uh, your time to do that. Well, we're going to have our uh, season previews coming up very shortly, starting the month of July and into August. So look for that. Uh, follow us on Twitter um, at B1GKURT. Uh, Jeff is at Jeffrey the Greek. Um, right now, we still got a couple more fun podcasts coming up. Um, you can follow us on any, any of your typical platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, many, many others. Please check us out, give us a listen, subscribe, and uh, hopefully you like it and recommend to friends. Agree with all that. Uh, the one thing I would add is the, I believe, the uh, Michigan State helmet, the white helmet with just the green Spartan logo, oh. one of my favorite one of my favorite helmets in all of college football, definitely the Big Ten. Just wanted to plug that in there. I, <laughs> I like Michigan State's fresh, the, just the clean uniforms where it's pretty much just green or white. Um, anyway, I just wanted to add that. Um, and yeah, with, uh, we'll, we'll start digging into uh, team previews. We'll probably get uh, Brett Siancia with pick six on for an interview pretty quick. Uh, Dustin Schutte with uh, Saturday tradition on, we'll get them pretty uh, for interviews pretty quick. Uh, then we'll get, you know, hopefully right into the season after that. And we'll start having some fun on the podcast. Yeah. Pick six preview. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, magazine there as well. Just to plug that. Uh, but yeah, again, the, the white helmet, something that I was begging for, for years. So I'm glad they rolled that thing out there. But uh, again, you know, I, one more more thing just to add, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, the, the perfect mix, uh, for big 10 fans is get one or two 
podcasts of your favorite team, right? So obviously standing room Spartans for Michigan state, uh, then just mix in one podcast, right. That kind of has all 14 big 10 teams in mind, right. We're going to talk about all 14. You maybe get to know some of your opponents in the big 10 a little bit more than you would listening to other podcasts. So that's just a, a, a shameless self plug there for, for our pod, but that's, that's typically where people have DM'd us giving us compliments on is, is that. And then you also get your occasional fruit rankings, booze rankings, other important things outside of football. And a couple digs at Michigan. And we know we all love that. So again, th- this is a podcast I've been listening to for a while. Make sure you check it out again. Eyes on big eyes on B one G uh, make sure you check that out. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, Jeffrey, the Greek at big Kurt. Thank you guys so much for the time. Thanks, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks for